Hello and welcome to the Chasing Faith podcast. This is going to become a place for us to discuss issues of faith in a way that leads us towards a more authentic, open, honest, and generous expression of what we truly believe. I'm Brandon Batson. I'm the producer of this podcast and the Communications and Connections Director here at Christ Church in New York City. I'm here with your host, the Reverend Dr. Stephen Bauman, the Senior Minister here at Christ Church. Each week, our podcast will begin with Steve giving a short talk on whatever subject we might be covering that week, followed by a discussion between the two of us and guests of the podcast. Our guest on the podcast today is Nicole Armstrong. Nicole is the Director of Spiritual Education here at Christ Church. She is a recent transplant to New York City, originally born and raised in Southern California. She received her BA in Sociology and Religion from California Lutheran University, then went on to Duke University where she received her Master of Divinity. So today, Brandon and I are having a conversation with Nicole Armstrong, who is on the staff of Christ Church as, what's your title, Nicole? Director of Spiritual Formation. (laughs) Wow, wow. and you came, you joined us when? November 18th, to be specific. <laughs> oh, no. All right. It was a momentous day, I guess. Huh? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, we're glad you're aboard, and uh, we've really appreciated the energy that you bring to your work. And as you know, in these conversations that we call Chasing Faith, we're, faith, we're really... Uh, speaking with people about how their own faith got formed, um, how they live it in the real world and all of those kinds of things. So uh, I'm guessing that most of our listeners don't know you well. And so there's a little bit of background that we have to provide. I think maybe um, you could provide that for us. Like, who are you? Where are you from? Who are your people? You know, all of that. Could you just kind of give us a, a description? Yeah. yeah. Well, I was born October 12th. No, <laughs> um, <laughs> I was born and raised in Southern California, um, in Orange County to be specific. <laughs> uh, I say that because anyone who is privy to Southern California knows that LA County is very different to Orange County. And uh, my family, my dad has been there. He grew up there. So a lot of roots didn't really move around too much. Very grounded. They still live in the house that I uh, not was born in, but was brought home to. So really stable kind of grounded childhood. Um, It's always fascinating to me to hear stories of people who bounced around (laughs) in their youth because it's so different and foreign to me. Um, was nominally religious, uh, (laughs) kind of growing up. We didn't really grow up in a a religious household, but I I would say cultural, culturally religious kind of, you went to Sunday school because that's just what you were supposed to do. It wasn't like I was being quoted scripture at home or anything. Um, and then, and just really involved in, in high school. Uh, I was in orchestra and played soccer, I was the overachiever, and then I went to a private university, California Lutheran University in Thousand Oaks, which is a couple hours north, 
And how did you wind? How did you wind up there? I through a whole darn lot of things, but the, the main thing being, uh, I really wanted to go to Pepperdine. I really wanted to be a film mm. studies major. Mm-hmm. I love. Um, you wanted to be on their campus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> spectacular <laughs> campus. Yeah. It's, it is so beautiful. Neither of my parents um, went to college. And so it really was this blank slate. And I was that weird kid that just at the beginning of high school, I always wanted to go to college and I always wanted to study abroad. And so um, it was kind of a blessing in a way where my parents, my they were both excited, but there was nothing. They didn't have like allegiances or anything. So um, we uh, toured so many all up and down the West Coast and Pepperdine was my number one. And I didn't get into Pepperdine. I remember burning my letter. (laughs) (laughs) My mom's like, you are very dramatic. I was like, listen. Um, But so with that being said, it kind of came down to another school that I really liked, Seattle Pacific. Um, I've been Queen Anne Hill up uh, in Seattle. And I knew I wanted to go to a smaller school because I had toured places like Davis and Berkeley, and they were just so big. And I went to a really big high school, and I I didn't want to feel anonymous anymore. Um, that works for some people. It just wasn't what I was wanting or craving. And so when I uh, – someone had mentioned Cal Lutheran, And I was like, I have never heard of this school. So we drove back one day. We had kind of gone up to Malibu and it's across. You have to go through the mountains um, to get over to Thousand Oaks. So we're like, we'll stop by. And we drove through and it felt, it just felt homey. It felt right. It was very weird. I knew very little about the university, but it just uh, felt good. And so then I went and toured it and they do also, I think their proximity to LA, they have a good film studies program. And so I enrolled uh, with a major in film studies and a minor in religion because I had been interested in religion, but more from a philosophical standpoint, kind of why is this something that so many people care about? You know, what? why does this start wars? <laughs> and it's like this intangible thing. So, um, but also being someone who really cares about doing the right thing and not, and really wanting to understand what that looked like. So anyways, that being said, I, I got into film studies and, um, immediately realized, oh, there's a lot of technology involved. (laughs) And I do not like that. (laughs) We got into like the Mac lab and I was like, this is not for me. Um, and ended up kind of switching my major a couple of times, thank God, for a, a small school and landed on sociology when I took my so- my first sociology class just as like a prereq. And um, and after that very first class, I walked up to the professor and he happened to be the department head <clears throat> and it was just sociology 101. And I was like, I am changing my major immediately to sociology. <laughs> um, and my mom's like, great, another thing you can't get paid for. Um and so I was like, yep, uh, I loved, I love sociology. I love digging into the, the questions that don't necessarily have answers. Um, why do we do the things we do? How do we affect one another? And um, through that also dove more deeply into the religion. Um, you department. were still a religion 
uh, minor. minor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Cal Lutheran, I went there expecting it to be more uh, religious than it is. It is not <laughs> at all. And um, that was pretty funny because uh, I think, I don't know if it was just my nature, but growing up, I felt like I was probably a very black and white person. I wanted to know what was right and what was wrong. And so I went expecting those things to be given to me and told to me in college. And then I get to college and I'm like, it's a religious school. It'll be great. People will be here like me. No. <laughs> and that was a rude awakening. Um, I didn't, the gray area uh, part of life made me uncomfortable. And I remember the um, pastor for the school came into one of our sociology classes. And, you know, sociology is like notorious <laughs> for everyone just being like, there is no God. This is all the things, at least that's what our department was. And they let her have it. I felt so bad. <laughs> um, but to her credit, she just, I can't remember what the question was, but it was some theodicy type question, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? And she just looked at them and said, I don't know. Like, I I, I can't give you an answer and I'm not going to pretend to. (laughs) And that was the first time I heard that. And I was was astounded because I had so much more respect for her for not lying to us or giving us some sort of pretty answer but then also fascinated and intrigued with how one could still commit their life to this work with so blatantly have, you know, having stated, I don't know. <laughs> um, so I kept taking some really wonderful classes. Um, and again, it was such a, a gift to, to be in that space. Cause had I been somewhere else, I don't know what would have happened as a great religion department and sociology department. And so I think, college was a really wrestling a deep space of wrestling with um the muddy waters of ethics and um the complexity of faith that i had never really been taught before how how did your faith emerge then um it (laughs) it it was there but i imagine it more so disintegrating (laughs) Um, and, and then instead of it being like a ladder that just goes up, it became just like vines that grew out and that kind of, or it became more organic and more, um, just less rigid. And, and something that I was, I continually told it's okay to wrestle with this. It's okay to wrestle with this. And I found that to be fascinating. And as it paired in college alongside my lived experience with, you know, my first serious boyfriend and breakups and just all the college things, I realized that that faith, that vine was becoming more of a, not even a comfort, but more realistic and something that could walk alongside that lived experience than that ladder ever could. That went, the ladder faith just gave me anxiety (laughs) and, um, you know, made me feel trapped and like I was never doing the right thing. And I think leading me to the wrong questions and answers that to focus on in faith. Whereas this other one was like, you know what, let's put aside right and wrong 
for now, which is weird to say, I think, for some people in, in religion to hear someone say, let's not deal with what's right and wrong. Let's deal with, you know, your emotions, your experience and where God is in that. You know, let's we don't need to solve it. We don't need to judge it, but we can sit in it. And did you um, I, I love the imagery of a vine. Of course, it's biblical, too. <laughs> um, uh, I, I, as you're sharing this, it's an interesting thing. Um, it sounds like you transition from a completely head experience about rational thoughts into a more, well, your word was organic, where the faith experience was more organically intrinsic to your, your experience. Is that a fair way to say it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and in that, are you, how would you, how would you talk about your God relationship? What can you tell me something about that? My relationship with God. Yes. I mean, we're, we're using the word faith as a placeholder, I think. And I'm just kind of curious how you would talk about God relationship. Uh, I think it became a relationship in college, right? Rather than a set of, of yeah. rules. Yeah. Um, and that is, you know, kind of groundbreaking <laughs> if yeah. you've just yeah. been told, don't do this, don't do that. Because somewhere in the water of cultural Christianity and the conservative nature of it, um, especially in Orange County, like I mentioned earlier, I picked up, <laughs> not necessarily for my parents, but I picked up this idea that there were things that I was supposed to do, things that I was not supposed to do. And if I did those things, that I would forever be broken or at a loss and um, having to kind of be ashamed and ask forgiveness. And I was so petrified of that space, um, never once thinking people end up here no matter what they do. Um, they end up in that space of brokenness and shame, not necessarily because of their own making. And, and so it going, jumping to college and, and kind of pushing against that and then finding myself going through a really tumultuous breakup and um, some experiences of um, sexual assault being in a space, I found myself asking, oh no, <laughs> did I judge those people in high school that the ones that I were told that were over here, that they had done something to end up in this space to forever be judged, ever be shamed. Um, and now I'm finding myself emotionally among them. It, it was like the most disorienting experience ever. Um, and so that is when that relationship with God came about. Like you were saying, it was no longer a, a dictatorship. <laughs> it yeah, was a relationship. Yeah, yeah. And it was coming from a much more humble place for me to say, oh, no, I have perpetuated some of this judgment, I am sure, upon myself, upon others. And now I'm in this space and realizing that life is so messy and so hard um, to put up those compartmentalizations of 
you know, your worth as a human or where you fall in the spectrum of Christianity. It wasn't doing anyone any mm. favors. It's you, you, you know, I guess my question would be, um, you know, you just, you just said like, I endured these kinds of trials in my life. I also, you know, was in this time of kind of, for lack of a better word, deconstruction. And I'm also in a place that would fully support my complete deconstruction. So what inside of you or what in your brain, when you have that kind of license to just let it go, made you almost in, in a way like go more into it? Because like from here, you you move into like pursuing it fully. So like what what about you or your experience made you go instead of like you have every reason to like walk away from this belief system, mm-hmm. at least for a time. Right. But instead you like almost go f- more into it. So is there, do you, do you, can you even distill that down into why? Yeah, no, that's a how? good question. <laughs> it's a little hazy, <laughs> but um, as, as that space gets farther away, but you're totally right. And I don't, whether nature or nurture, I never got to a state where I was like, I'm done with all of it, but I did recognize that there were parts of it that were killing me, like to walk into that space would kill me. And um, spiritually speaking, and probably emotionally and mentally. (laughs) Um, And so it was through probably unintentionally, actually, to answer your question, um, through just thank God for my roommates and the people I had access to both professors. And um, like I mentioned, some of the pastors, Mm -hmm. I was seeking healing and understanding, not necessarily with the outcome to find myself in the role of clergy, but like kind of Job-like, I was angry and I wanted answers. (laughs) And um, that's that's Mm. kind of my MO. Like I am not one to kind of just be like, I'm out. I'm like, no, I I want answers now. I need, you know, I want to understand. I'm that head person. I want to understand it. to kind of make sense of it so I can process. So it was kind of through my attempt at healing through therapy um, and through um, conversations with my roommates, some of whom had beautiful theologies, much more mature than I don't even know how they were like that in college. Um, And just professors, I got to a point where I was realizing, Oh, this is, this is healing me and strengthening me in a way that walking away and going back to something I used to know are not like those ended up not being options because I was sensing and experiencing like glimmers of life and hope in that, in that jumping in with both feet, weirdly enough. Like I was like, Ooh, this is going to be a dark tunnel, (laughs) but I'm sensing more life at the end of that tunnel than walking away um, and letting it kind of just sit. Does that kind of make sense? So it wasn't intentional mm-hmm. at all necessarily. Mm-hmm. In hindsight, I think I began to see the patterns, <laughs> which then let, led me into, I think the steps of ordination, but I was definitely like, Oh, there's a whole new, like unearthing of, of faith and life and learning from um, documents and theologians that you would never have been exposed to had it been like a nominal theology. Right. Um, I was like, oh my gosh, why is nobody talking about this? That was my reaction. I was like, what? <laughs> you guys, like, this is a much better, true, authentic 
faith than anything else. And I was just like mad that people weren't being honest and real in the way that, um, that I had kind of found myself in that space to be like trauma happens and faith is messy and God is, you know, not a dictator, but also like can take whatever you throw at God. It was just a weird, it just felt like, why is, why aren't people asking more questions rather than walking away, which is completely Mm. my own, you know, I think that's kind of just who I am as well. But that's the question I kept saying. I was like, why (laughs) is this not being talked about more? Yeah, it's, as you are sharing this, what I'm, the image that comes to my mind is that you broke open, you know, Mm -hmm. you broke open Mm -hmm. and um, there's a breaking and there's an opening. (laughs) Both things are true, (laughs) right? Because you have to crack the, the old in order for the, the liberation of the new. And lo and behold, there was an, from the way you described it, a, a beautiful, spectacular world that was much larger than you had surmised or knew, and no one had told you about. In a, I think I'm hearing you say that to me, but to us. Yeah. Liber- liberation, that word sticks out that you just said. It did feel liberating. Granted, it took, it wasn't like an overnight thing, but it was roughly like a three-year journey through a really, really dark, dark valley. Yeah, <laughs> of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Like I had mentioned before, and I'm sure as it, most people know who have done that digging, it all, you're like picking up a thread and realizing it's all connected, right? My mental well-being, my emotional, my spiritual, physical, like it's all connected. Yeah. And so it was just like, you start shoveling, you're like, this is never going to end, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, what's interesting is it no. used to be that theology was the queen of the sciences. And um, and it makes sense retrospectively now as you're talking about it, how everything is part of the same thing. It isn't, you know, religion over here particularly and science over here and emotional <laughs> health over here, but it's all of a piece, right? Yeah, it's all connected. It, as you said, that reminded me of... Um, when I spent some time in Ireland, we went to Trinity in Dublin and the old kind of pillars of the oldest part of campus are that they have these sculptures of theologians and philosophers. And that those are like the foundations of um, academia and education. Like there's no distinction. They are just the figureheads of it. And it was weird, you know, to come from an American education and step foot on Trinity and be like, (laughs) what, what are all these theologians doing all over the place? I, I find interesting from your story, you know, you said that you kind of came to this place where you were like, why are people not asking these questions? You know, why are they walking away and not answering these questions? And I think for a lot of people, they're in religious places where their questions aren't welcome. So they come up against like, I have all these questions and you don't have significant answers or even the ability to say, I don't know. So now I'm gone. But what I see through your ministry so far in the time that we've worked together is that you are kind of bent on creating spaces where those questions can come up and be left out in the air if they need to be left out in the air, be answered if they need to be answered. Can you speak a little bit about why that's important to you and kind of like how you like to create yeah, those spaces? Um, thanks for saying that. I, that's a, such a compliment because that is what I <laughs> am hell bent on doing. <laughs> um, it's in 
in any space, that is like <clears throat> the fire that I kind of go off of is I want so badly to create those spaces. Cause exactly to your point, you're right. And, and it's, and it's no small matter to be in a space where you're not allowed to ask those questions. You don't feel safe asking those questions. Um, like I said, I was so lucky to have stumbled upon the resources and the people at Cal Lutheran and at Duke, um, that people don't have that opportunity. And so for me, it's like, well, I want to create, I want to be an active participant in creating those spaces so that people feel comfortable just even putting, even putting voice to the question, like you said, doesn't need to be answered, but naming the question is a huge step. Like you said, it's like, it's so taboo to even ask like, well, what if I'm not sure if there is a God or anything that you're just like, you've been told is just not something ever to voice. Um, I want to, and I, I do that through the lens of through, through my, through experience, through my lived experience, because that was, that's the way to, I think for you as well, like that is how you find yourself in those spaces. you you start questioning, you start asking um, through where you find yourself in life and the experiences that you um, walk into. And so that was part of, part of my like, reaction to say, why is no one talking about this? Because it was through my traumas and through all these things where I was like, wait, like the people I spoke to, they're like, yeah, this happens. And this is this, and this is this. I was like, why am I feeling so alone in this? Like, I was like, am I the only one that, that is like doing this? And, and they said, no, you're, you're not. And, and welcome, you know, <laughs> you found this community of people. And I was like, how are we not shouting this from the rooftops that that these spaces exist, that they welcome you and they hopefully won't push an agenda on you other than to feel safe in that journey of questioning and molding your faith to, that's the whole reason we have a faith, right? It's a lens to make sense of our, our life through. And if we aren't able to do that, I mean, a part of me wants to say like, what's the point, you know, if it's just there to give us anxiety <laughs> and crippling fear, it's, it's, I think we've kind of lost mm. it. Um, Nicole, just to pick up a couple of little mm, historical things. So you were in college, you were a sociology major, <clears throat> you were a religion minor, you were um, emergent in your faith. And how did you, what was the, what was the tell on heading out to seminary? You went to Duke Divinity School, and I'm just kind of curious how what how did that happen? Yeah, a couple of weird things, but <laughs> mostly um, I found myself more and more uh, invigorated by digging into those religion spaces and classes, and then um, I took, I studied abroad my junior year at Oxford University. And <clears throat> that was my first time out of the country. And I mean, it was England. So it's not, it's not too far different. But um, I am such an Anglophile. I was so excited to go grew up watching soccer and everything. But anyways, that being said, I took some classes on world religion and politics and started to kind of like, see how macro this lens could get of faith and religion and how uh, people, whether by their will or not, or their knowledge or not, are shaped and formed and governed by a faith. And um, so it, coming back, it took me you know, years to kind of make sense of that. But I was left with like, oh, well, this seems 
way more important. I already thought it was important work, but this is important work, you know, to be aware of the the forces that shape us, um, especially faith, since, you know, it turns out the whole world, <laughs> you just look at Spain, right? Even in the architecture, the Moorish architecture, and you have, it's just like, it's everywhere when you open your eyes. So, um, <clears throat> but that was also paired alongside um, the person that I was dating at the time, his older sister was actually at Duke Divinity School. So we had been having conversations and I was like, these conversations sound amazing. <laughs> and um, I never had it in my head to be a pastor or work in a church, ironically. And um, I, I just was like, this is the space I need to be in. Like, this is the next step. This has to be the next step. And my sociology professor argued with me. He was like, why don't you just go get a PhD in, in sociology? And they're both equally like unable to find jobs. <laughs> and I was like, thanks. Thanks for that. But um, he, he, I had a conversation with him and a conversation with some of my religion professors who had also gone to seminary. Um, one went to Yale and the other went to Princeton. And they, they were like, you know, if this is a space that I think you need to be, you need to see this through basically, whether that means you end up in a church, you end up in a church, but I, I think this space is where you will be able to tease that out, you know, and see that there is more than just, um, the road to a church, you know, that's where I discovered what chaplains were and <clears throat> social work and just all these cool avenues of how, a vocational ministry could look. Uh, and so it was through kind of my knowing of this person who was there and, and feeling at the time, like, okay, I was going through a deep depression with everything at the same time. And, and um, I applied, I knew, but I knew I wanted to get out since I'd only gone a couple hours North of home. So I applied to um, Boston, <clears throat> Boston, Drew, Duke, a couple other places and you had grown up as a Methodist. Yeah. Sort of anyway. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And that's the other part. Thank you for bringing that up. I was at an ELCA college. Right. And, and being nominally Methodist, I was like, I don't, it's also, I think it's also geographical. No one ever says like, Oh, so what are you meaning? Like, Methodist or Baptist. That is not a question because in general, it's weird enough if you're even a Christian. I, believe <laughs> like, me, I get that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 You spent some time out there too. Yeah. It's like denominations are not a thing. And so being at Cal Lutheran, I began to see, oh, like this is what I am not in a good way. There are, I seriously considered yeah. switching over to ELCA while I was at college that in 2010 is when they passed their resolution to ordain gay clergy. Mm -hmm. And that was a really cool space to be a part of. We had the Bishop come and I got to have this great one-on-one -on -one conversation with him over coffee. And I was just floored with the work he was doing. So um, I was kind of, beginning to understand that there were different denominations and they did different things. And um, so digging into that a little bit more, I realized, oh, again, whether by nature or nurture, I am Methodist. <laughs> I am way more Pelagian than, than the ELC would like. I definitely think um, like action is, is needed. And so I applied to mostly Methodist seminaries and that also helped with some scholarships and, um, <laughs> And so went and I toured 
Boston and Duke. Those were the two it came down to. And um, I had gotten a full ride to Boston and my mom was like, for the love of God, please just go there. And then, um, and Duke had only given me a three quarter scholarship. And I was like, well, but the cost of living is cheaper. And it was just a whole argument. Um, but she's like, you already have a bachelor's in sociology. Are you trying to kill me? And, um, so I toured both. And when I walked onto Duke's campus and sat in some of their classes, I was like, oh my gosh, these are my people. Those were the words I said, these are my people. And I walked out and my dad had come with me and he was like, oh yeah, these are your people. <laughs> like uh, A little less nicer than I said it, but um, I just knew like that was where I needed to be. And so that's how I ended up at Duke. I deferred for a year uh, naturally to bartend at a yacht club. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was probably good preparation, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, the best thing, if you, if anyone ever gets an opportunity to bartend in their life, the greatest thing, it never got old. People would come up and, um, you know, you'd be like making them their drink and they would eventually be like, so, you know, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, uh, you know, I could either say like, I'm going to seminary or if you just want to make it simple, like I'm going to be a pastor. And they like don't know whether or not to laugh or to take the drink you're handing them. <laughs> They're just like, uh, and you get yeah. the weirdest questions. And in that indeed, indeed. <laughs> it gives you a real glimpse into the into what a lot of people think faith is and it's so heartbreaking you know yes. i wanted to be like this is not what right. it is they're like can i not curse in front of you i'm like <laughs> 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 like that's what people mm -hmm. think faith is right that set of rules right um and so mm -hmm. it was very strange, but yeah, so I took a year off you know on of, that on yeah. that point that is one of the hardest um most difficult things about this business is the misconception that people have because their knowledge and experience of actively pursuing dynamic faith is so shallow, so minuscule that um, to break through that is excruciatingly difficult. Um, it's just, you know, it has dogged that problem, so to speak, has dogged me my entire career. Um, it right. Yeah. It's it's you yeah. hit it right right when you forget about it for a second. Yeah. <laughs> Someone chops yes. up and smacks you with it. Yes. Even we have a fire escape outside of our um, bedroom window, and I was putting something out there, and the woman who's about my age, she uh, we got talking, and so she turns out she's a, a teacher on the Upper East Side. But she asked like, "Oh, what do you do?" And I was like, "Well, I work at a church." And she's like, "What do you do?" I'm like. I mean, I'm a pastor, basically. I'm not going to go mm -hmm. into the whole foray of <laughs> director yeah. of spiritual information. Um, and she's like, wait, what? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, there are women pastors? And I was like, you work in New York City. What is wrong with you? Um, you know, it was just so, again, like, just who, you never know. The person living right beneath me was, like, floored that. yeah. yeah. I was in that space. And again, it's just that, that wall that so many people don't ever get a chance to find, you know, the keyhole to get through it to that space, that breaking open, like you were saying. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, we've talked about this. I think a lot of people because of like social media and in just even their immediate circle are in like a yeah. spiritual That's algorithm, exactly right? right. Yeah. <laughs> like it's only feeding them the information 
that it feels like they want, you know? And it's like, I have friends, you know, I've been listening to deconstruction podcasts and stuff for years. And, you know, a lot of the things that I grew up with have kind of like let go of, right. And like moved on from, and every time I hear like one of my friends who like, hasn't been down that road at all. And I'm just like, Oh, like I've got, I've gotten to the point where I'm like, I don't even talk about this stuff anymore. I'm like, there are so many people who haven't like opened their eyes to that. There's more out there that there's, you know, different expressions of faith, like beyond their, upbringing no matter what it is or what religion the ruts, they are or whatever like, it makes it like a road right the ruts are dug so deep and they just and that's what they what they follow and that's not condescending i hope that doesn't sound condescending at all because it's just what you do right oh. it's like even growing up even just on like a developmental level you know theology aside you go back home to where you grew up and it's so easy to regress back to those patterns and those ruts that you've dug and lived your whole life it's like it takes very intentional work to to step outside of whatever you know path has been tread for you or that you have tread and terrifying so it's like logically who would want to do that <laughs> who would want to who would want to step off that path and be terrified you know like it's i understand why people don't want to do it but again like i said usually what happens is something happens to them to put them in that space in that great wild um, where they're kind of forced to reckon. Well, there's also a... Yeah, it takes work or it takes trauma. Yes. There, a lot of, a lot of those spiritual on. environments are afraid of new information. And um, that's another piece of this, that there's a fear underneath that if you learn something new, oh my God, um, you know, all hell will break loose. <laughs> And of course, in the old conservative nomenclature, you're going to go to hell and, you know, everyone around you is in danger and, you know, all of that. So that's a, there's a, that can be part of the environment that people have to, I'm a suspecting, Brandon, that's partly what you had to contend with to some degree, right? Right. <laughs> oh, right. 100%. So there, there can be a, well, the whole, you know, if you even look at something like creationism, um, the, mm -hmm. the young earth group, they're really putting a cross up in front of science and saying, you know, that's of the devil, you know, that's, that science is of the devil in that moment. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so it's no, it's no wonder to some degree that even in this age of COVID that we have people who will deny the science or ignore the science that tells them to behave in a certain way because their environment has kind of um, prep them for that response. Yeah, that's, that's very true. Yeah. Even it, the rejection kind of aspect it's, and it's how they understand God and the lens of the very, uh, rigid kind of lens where, um, like I was just watching West Wing, so forgive me for this example, but, uh, <clears throat> I'm watching it. It was an episode where the president is having to make a decision whether or not to make a stay of ex execution for someone um, and his uh, priest comes and he's like, I prayed and 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 prayed and, prayed and, prayed and, and like nothing. And I'm mad about it. And he kind of says that classic example of like, you know, someone's drowning and they, a lifeboat comes by mm -hmm. and he's like, no, 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 my God's going to save me, you know? Mm -hmm. And then a helicopter comes by. He's like, yeah. no, 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 my God's going to save me. And <laughs> right. on and on and he dies. And he goes to heaven. And he's like, what the hell God? Like I'm a yeah. good Christian and I did all the right things. And he's like, I sent you all of these things. 
And you did not because you were so ironically hellbent, right, on on this one um, interpretation and understanding of of God and the manifestation of God. And it's just Mm -hmm. like so pertinent to exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I just think that's, I mean, the one thing that I've kind of taken away from kind of coming out of that is, is I have a lot of empathy for those people because essentially it, it's so funny you use the example of like kind of putting a cross <laughs> up in front of these things and saying like, that's not, it's not good. Put up, put up my cross. But ultimately what you're doing is just putting those things in front yeah, of the cross, that's true. putting that's barriers true. in front of people receiving grace and peace and the things that come through the example of Jesus is like, you're just putting more and more things like, Oh, I'm going to put my belief in a seven day creation story in front of allowing people to get to Christ. You know, I'm going to put my views on sexuality in front of people getting to Christ, you know, and like we can disagree on those things. That's fine. But putting them as a barrier for people to get to the ultimate goal, I, I, I think it's just insane. Image. Yeah. Nicole, so we're going to be kind of coming to our final comments here pretty quickly, I think. Um, so from seminary, just put it, fill in a few more details. You graduated from Duke. And, yeah. And then you I graduated st- from Duke and um, got a, I mean, it's like an equivalent of a minor, but my certification was in theology, medicine, and culture. Cause I can kind of continue down that lens and took classes by people from people who were both MDs and held some sort of a theological degree. And again, was like, this is crazy that, you know, and, and seeing that people were believing in medicine like a God, right? Like it was this understanding of like, you may say you're not religious, but you are, it's just to a different God. And so, um, and they have a really wonderful uh, chaplaincy program and just that crossover between medicine, which is huge in our world. I mean, hello, COVID. Um, and the way that we understand that theologically or how we sit in those spaces. So I did my internship uh, after I graduated. I also spent some time in El Salvador <laughs> and and did some really wonderful or got to experience some wonderful leadership there. Um, did, a, did an internship on the, in the NICU and labor and delivery and the heart ICU at Duke, then did a residency for a year back in California um, and was at the hospital all the time. So I have 3000 hours of trauma chaplaincy, <laughs> but um, that was really simultaneously draining and life-giving work, oh, yes. but ne- so necessary, you know, to, to really sit with families who, like we said, having not wanting, they would never be there uh, voluntarily, but in those spaces were then finding themselves asking the questions, why is this happening? What right. did I do wrong? And treating their doctors like a priest. Yes. And it was astounding to see. And just a reminder that it's so, so human to, to seek, to look up and to seek out answers that are beyond our understanding, especially when we're in pain or we're suffering or something's not making sense, you know, um, that to be so haughty as to say, you know, I don't, I don't need a God, I think, um, is a little bit naive. You don't need to ascribe to like what Brandon was saying. You don't need to ascribe to a faith that we can agree upon, but acknowledging that like we walk through life, believing and trusting in things that are going to give us hope 
and um, give us the courage to act the way that we want to. And it, it might not be church, it might be medicine, it might be the law, you know, but to be cognizant of the way that we ascribe to these kind of faiths was... Yeah, as a matter of course, in my own ministry early on, it became very important to understand that everyone has a religion, whether they know it yes. or not. Everyone exactly. does. And all of those religions, by the way, have theologies. Mm-hmm. They they may not be organized, but they all have a structure <laughs> to them that gives them their sense of place, purpose, and meaning in the scheme of things. And our, part of our task, it seems to me, and I think you have an instinct for this, is trying to to uh, pull the curtain back on that and say, here's, here's, you know, who is your God? What is your God? What is your theology of life? What is your hierarchy of values that drives you forward? And um, that's a really important. My field, my, one of my favorite professors, again, he was just always like, a lo- 99% of the time we're asking the wrong questions. So maybe reframing, you know, if you're coming up to someone and, and, and they're maybe resistant to pulling that curtain back or haven't been in that space, mm-hmm. turn it around and say, well, what are you not? Or what do you, you know, what do you not believe in mm-hmm. and, and why, you mm-hmm. know, we're so, so focused on like, well, this is who I am. This is what I believe in. And it's like, well, let's turn it around for a second. You know, why is this not something? And right. um, he just really kind of hammered in this idea of asking the right questions. Again, taking that emphasis off of the answer, Mm-hmm. Um, because the real work is in the digging in those questions that you're asking versus whatever outcome mm-hmm. we get so preoccupied with the outcome um, that the work has its own agenda that makes it inauthentic. Oh. So I love that he was like, just to start digging, you know, start digging and surround yourself. Um, look for the people, surround yourself with people who are willing to just be with you in it without an agenda. And that unfortunately is so, so hard to do in a, in a specifically faith, or Christian space. So that again, back to the question, Brandon, you were saying earlier, like that's why I I find it so important to to step into my vocation, which is that in a nutshell, right? Is to create that space for people to do authentic digging. Um, and that's just so meaningful because like it gave me, it literally gave me life. Like I was down and out for the count. <laughs> and so it's like anything that I can do to offer that space that was given to me is well worth it. Well, Brandon, what do you think? Have we uh, come to conclusion? Are there? Okay. <laughs> I think we fit it. I think we fit all the, all the dots for now. I think, I think we've got a whole nother yep. podcast sure. worth of discussions to have. I have like, I've been thinking through, I'm like, Oh, I'd love to like really zero in on that. So we'll yes, definitely I'd have to have that. you back. Nicole. Well, thanks a lot. Um, and like I said earlier, glad to have you as part of our team at Christ Church. And especially as we um, move into the future, it seems like asking the right questions is going to be really important as we, because we know that church is going to be different on the other side of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other side of everything that's going down right now, um, it's going to be different. And uh, we need to have good questions to be asking. Um, hopefully more, it, hopefully it'll look more like a relationship. Yes, right? exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. Thanks for having me.